Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Chris Ward, Managing Partner of Cooper Grace Ward Lawyers. Thanks again for joining us today, and I'm looking forward to bringing this conversation to you with Chris Ward, who's run a very successful legal practice here in Queensland for the last 35 years. But before we get to the conversation with Chris, let me briefly introduce myself to you. My name is Richard Triggs. I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. I'm also the owner of the LinkedIn group, the CEO Incubator. And if you haven't joined that group, I'd certainly recommend that you do, as there are now approximately 1,800 members, predominantly C-suite executives and non-executive directors. And the CEO Incubator is a great way for you to network with your peers across industry. And it's also the portal that we use for presenting all of our executive and non-executive vacancies before they go to the open market. So by participating in that group, which is free, you'll get access to those opportunities as well. Let me now introduce to you Chris Ward. As managing partner of Brisbane-based law firm Cooper Grace Ward, Chris leads the overall practice, management and day-to-day operations of the firm. Chris has been a litigator for nearly all of his 37 years of practice, focusing on the areas of insurance law, commercial litigation, family law and de facto law cases. He's a qualified solicitor with the Supreme Court of Queensland, and over the last 35 years, Chris has litigated substantial matters in the High Court of Australia, the Federal Court of Australia, the Supreme Court of Australia, and the Family Court of Australia. Chris lives with his family in Brisbane, Australia. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Chris Ward. Well, Chris, welcome to the Arate Podcast. It's uh, great to have you along, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. For the benefit of people who are listening in today, perhaps just to start with, can you tell us about your current range of professional responsibilities? Welcome. Well, thank you, uh, Richard, for uh, having me uh, involved. Uh, I am the current managing partner of Cooper Grace Ward. Uh, we are a Queensland-based law firm uh, with a fairly strong commercial focus. We have 21 partners all up team members about 230. Okay. Um, in terms of this role, I've now been in for 10 years. Right. Um, and uh, on the face, it will continue for a number of years yet to come. Right. Uh, which a role I enjoy. Uh-huh. Uh, it does uh, have uh, a range of obligations and uh, responsibilities, but overall, um, you are looking at the at what's now basically a $40 million business right. that you're running. But I do have a very, very strong management team mm-hmm. uh, who have been, the core of whom have been with me for the whole 10 years, which I think right? has been, a, right. uh, for me, a wonderful outcome and mm-hmm. uh, one which uh, enables me, I think, to achieve hopefully what we've achieved. And if there's been any, uh, if, if, if we regard as successful, then it's a, a success we can share with quite a number of people. Right. I imagine uh, being managing partner with so many partners, you know, it's not for the faint hearted. No, it is. I think there has been a description of uh, over the years of herding cats has been right. used. Um, in fact, there's a great uh, DVD, which I haven't seen for a little while, but it actually mimics that uh, process of herding cats. But uh, look, yeah, it is, um, uh, one could argue, a unique role in that I think that uh, if you look at the corporate world, we might have a managing director. Sure. Uh, they have an executive team and they have their shareholders sitting out there probably... Um, 
in corporate world. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they have to deal with their shareholders and meet with them. But in a case like this, where you are working day by day mm. with your partners, co-shareholders, uh, teammates and friends, it is a, a unique situation. So, mm-hmm. uh, as you say, perhaps it isn't for the faint-hearted, no. Mm. And so you've been in the role of managing partner for 10 years. 10 years. But the firm's been around for 35 years. 35 years, years yeah. Right. So, uh, basically, we had our first managing partner was there for 25 years, right. Peter Cooper, and then I, when Peter retired, I took over it uh, right. in December or mid-year 2005. Okay, great. And uh, what sort of uh, work does um, your firm do? What Give us some examples of Well, the- basically, in terms of the makeup of the firm, our largest core area is, is the commercial world, okay. uh, is the commercial practice, but that, that's made up of multi, multi-layered in terms, it, it incorporates our tax practice, our general commercial transactional practice, we've got a large superannuation practice, workplace relations, okay. uh, construction, um, so it's 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 why, but it would it would generate nearly half the fees of the firm. Right. Uh, but adjunct to that, we have a large property group, a large insurance group, litigation, and family law. So we we break ourselves up into five discrete work groups. But the largest work group is commercial, and that's why we do talk of ourselves as being you know, a commercial law firm. Mm-hmm. And given that, uh, much like my industry of uh, executive recruitment in law, there are many players and many competitors, what's your unique selling proposition? Well, it's interesting you ask that, Richard, because I, I do say to my team, every day you should ask yourself, why use Cooper Grace Ward? I mean, I think it's a fair question that any client should be asking themselves. Uh, I think what what we believe that, that we do differently, and you know, it's obviously going to be always in the eye of the beholder, is that we are, our principal focus is Queensland. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only have one office and we've deliberately kept it at one office. Mm-hmm. We've obviously looked down south at various times, but we've deliberately retained the one office focus. We work incredibly strongly across the regions and have done for at least 20 odd years now. So. I don't pretend that when we started going to the regions in the 90s, we understood there'd be a gas and mining sure. boom. Yeah. But we're out there really working pretty closely with the accountancy support network throughout okay. Queensland. So that enabled us to be really um, in many centres of Queensland, from uh, Cairns uh, out to uh, Roma, mm-hmm. uh, Mackay, Gladstone, uh, down to uh, uh, you know, in far south as Lismore. So we know Queensland backwards. Right. We. The operation of Cooper Grace Ward is controlled within these four walls. Mm-hmm. So we can say to our clients that whatever we do and how we achieve it, it's done throughout, through, through our office here in Queensland. And therefore, what we are able to bring to the table is one, a vast knowledge of Queensland. We work across Australia. A couple of our largest clients are Australia-wide clients, but we show and we can walk, work across Australia. And through our international association with ADVOC, which is a hundred firms throughout the world, we can help clients internationally. Right. So. Long story short, we think that our unique selling point is that we are based in Queensland. We know particularly the middle markets incredibly well. Um, And Queensland is still a relationship state so that we can bring to bear all of those relationships. Therefore, by not criticism, but by comparison to say a mid-tier national firm that opens its office in Brisbane three years ago, well, that's interesting. I'm certain they're good lawyers. There's no question about it. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, what do they bring to the table? Now, they normally come here to service an existing national client. That's fine. There's Mm -hmm. no question about that. But I'd have to question, after 35 years here in Queensland, Mm. we know this place backwards. Now, clearly, you know, there can always be political connections which come and go. There can be business relationships 
relationships come and go, but at the end of the day, it's a sustained relationship mm. we have with the mm. state. And I, I think in the circumstances, it's quite unique. There are a couple of other firms, I won't name them, but I probably could argue the same, but they've actually gone and opened offices in other states. I think mm -hmm. they've, well, I would argue, allowed themselves to be distracted, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So I think our offering is quite unique. So we save ourselves that we are the largest standalone firm in Queensland. Now, we're not the largest. Mm -hmm. But of all the firms, we, I, think right. we're, I think we're at number five in terms of size, sure. number six. But those above us mm -hmm. have multi-jurisdictional offices. Mm -hmm. And so our focus is really Queensland. Mm -hmm. Great. I think there's a, a couple of uh, interesting things I'd like to hopefully come back to in that. Yep. One is this idea of uh, business through relationships. And the other one is this um, comment you made about becoming distracted. Yeah. So I'll make a little note to remind okay. myself yes. about that. But uh, just... Uh, I like to start these conversations by going back to where it all began. Okay. So perhaps just talk to us a little bit about where you were born, mum and dad, brothers and sisters, your early life growing okay. up. Well, Richard, it's a pretty, it's a nice story, but it's pretty boring. I've got to tell you now. Okay. Well, one, one may argue it's boring. I'm, I'm happy with it. I was born in Brisbane yeah. uh, <laughs> in 1954. I'll be 62 years of age this year, which is right. 2016. So I've lived the whole of my life here. Um, I was educated in the city. Um, look, I've been very lucky to have uh, travelled overseas, sure. uh, but I, I didn't go backpacking in Europe for three or six months. Right. I haven't lived in a little village in France for a year or things such as that, all those things we dream about. Yes. Uh, but so therefore, you know, I was very lucky. I so was what, what, was, um, what did mum and dad do? Uh, dad, well, dad was in what, I, what you'd call these days would be human relations, uh, okay. but he was a, uh, what they called a welfare officer, basically, right. for okay. a large engineering company. Uh -huh. And I think probably... If I have some attributes, and you know, one can argue in terms of my ability to relate to people and have perhaps the gift of the gab, I think I got that from my father. Right. Whereas my mother was uh, decidedly, she didn't work, but she was uh, a very strong-willed, determined woman. And right. uh, I was the youngest of three boys and a fair bit younger. So okay. that in one sense, although I've got two older brothers who I'm very close to, I grew up almost as a, right. an only child. So what was the age difference between... Ten to the oldest and five to the middle. But, right. And they, but they left home pretty quickly. So that, sure. you know, when I, for example, by the time I was, you know, 13, right. the other two were, were largely gone. Right. Uh, if not gone, but physically not there much. So... Uh -huh. Out um, chasing girls. Yeah, and getting, work, getting married <laughs> and working. My eldest brother's also a lawyer. Oh, right. Um, okay. Our middle brother, we think he had the best life. He was a lighthouse keeper. So... Oh, right. um, but so look, it, it was a happy upbringing, um, and I was very lucky. Mum and Dad um, would have, I'm positive, uh, forso forsaken a lot of um, personal gain to sure. educate three boys Absolutely. at a private school here in Queensland. Mm -hmm. um, and I was educated at St Joseph College, Kirby Terrace, which yes. is an inner city college here. Um, and at a time when, frankly, most of my contemporaries came from really the same sort of lower middle class mm -hmm. background. Yeah, mm -hmm. middle probably middle class, probably a better way to mm -hmm. describe it. But there weren't any heirs or graces and, and by accident most of my friends were the youngest of their broods so right. a group of us grew up together we started in grade four mm -hmm. in those days okay and so we went through all our schooling together and I was very fortunate and I can't claim that I was part of it necessarily but we had an incredibly bright year one that I think in the annals of history of our college is the brightest year ever and that we had five in the top 20 in the state those days you used to have the top 20 in the state the TE um, score well, it was more. Was it was just in those. What's more? Yeah, well, you might be right. It might be T. Yeah, I don't know what it was called in those days. But you got right. seven, sixes, fives, and fours. But um, my closest friend, as it turned out, topped the state. Right. Uh, I remember back then, T score. The highest score was nine ninety. No, this before that. Oh, even. before that. Yeah, this right, was okay. yeah, five sevens or six wow. sevens. Um, yeah. Okay. Sure. It's interesting. I've been doing this podcast now. Um, uh, this is probably about my thirtieth, and uh, you know, this kind of preconception that. 
most successful people are the number one child and yet there's no evidence of that in these conversations i've had oldest youngest in the middle yeah. and everything in between so um okay so you uh went to a high school yes out of interest when you're going through school did you have a job or uh anything like that no not in those days i used right. to get a job but my father could organize for me some christmas work at this engineering company okay uh he got me a job at a soft drink factory which I, right. I think it lasted about three days and then i used to deliver telegrams at the okay. local post office so look i was very lucky um but no one had much in those days sure um our schoolies week was a week in a tent at uh right. down at main beach mine was in a caravan yeah just <laughs> by ourselves so uh and but look so i don't think i, I think some might have had jobs but i don't recall right. many having jobs yeah um and so uh, straight into university there, what, what i could do i actually won a, a scholarship to go to university but uh, i decided on some advice from my brother who had done the same way that to go into a law office and do my study at night it was probably right. regarded the harder way to do it okay uh, but if you could survive it, right. it probably uh, enabled you to um, probably get it at the ground level, I suppose. So, how long did that mean it took you to took you it took you to do your degree? Well, it, it was it was supposed to take five years, but I took it without being immodest. I did it in four. I doubled up on some exams, right. um, so that I actually finished my I'd finished my study uh, at the end of four years. I then that's but when you I, worked full time in full the middle. full time. Yep, well, and I so used to get a. You get one week's holiday a year right, yeah. and one week of study leave. That was it. Right. Um, but so by the end of my fourth year, I'd managed to double up and get through. And a friend of mine then got me a weekend job right. as a penciler at the races for a okay, bookmaker. Right, and that right. was a, an incredible eye-opener for a, you know, sure. perhaps a protected, secluded you know, young boy <laughs> suddenly being thrust into the southern paddock at, right. uh, at Doombin and Eagle Farm. Did you uh, have grand visions of one day having a little brown bag with your initials on it? No, it's interesting. I tell you what, I've never met, never been back to the racetrack again after a year of that. I, I loved it and thoroughly enjoyed it. Right. But if you ever thought punting was a mug's game, it just confirmed it to you. you yeah, really sure. Pull. It really did. In many respects, left a bit of a mark on me. I watched these blokes turn up, literally in those days, with their pay packet. Like right. we're talking mm-hmm. the days when you'd get your pay packet, yeah. rip off the top and take the dollars out. Right. And see them blow it. And wow. you, knew, you knew these blokes were married. Yeah. Uh, and you'd wonder what was going on at home. Mm. Uh, probably you know, kids, God knows mm-hmm. what. And you thought, my God, what a, mm-hmm. what a waste. So, and yet now they can just have an app on their phone. Well, I, I don't get no. yeah, I'm not. I'm not prudish about it. Sure. I, I'm not, I, I have a bet on Melbourne Cup Day. Yeah. But if you said to me, what do you think about gambling? I just think it's a monk's game. It, it, it's, it's something which uh, is probably for the uber rich yeah. uh, who can afford to lose it. Um, sure. And I was really lucky. I... I used to, in fact, I was earning in those days as a fine year article clerk, eighty dollars a week. Right. Uh, and I was earning about forty dollars a week of the races, so right. I was very lucky, and I managed to save for the, the deposit for a home unit, so okay. Uh, okay. which the grand sum of four thousand dollars or something was the deposit in those days. So you um, took four years, you finished your qualification. Yes. You're working full time in the meantime. Yes. And so, how did your career unfold from there? Well, look, it, it was a different world in those days, and I say that to you know, I got. One son a lawyer, another one to become a lawyer. So it's sort of I got, you know, I talked to a lot of people. Right. Um, I was made a partner almost as soon as I was admitted. So at the age of 22, I was uh-huh. a partner in a mid-sized law firm in Brisbane. Now, it was more a sign of the times of sort of um, that that I'd worked very hard. I'd got through my exams, you know, without too much trouble, and I was very lucky. The work I was getting within the firm I was in was was high class, and mm-hmm. I just put my head down and worked very hard. I didn't quite know what I was going to achieve. I'm not suggesting I had this grand plan of what mm-hmm. was going to happen, but um, I, I was in the litigation space. Mm-hmm. The partner who was a senior litigation partner at, at, at decided he wanted to get back to be a barrister. Mm-hmm. 
So suddenly at the age of 22, I was thrust in as the senior litigation partner of a mid-tier law firm. Now, in hindsight, it was probably craziness right. in one respect. And the only way I could really deal with it was just by working very, very hard and mm -hmm. harder than I've ever worked before in my life. And mm -hmm. I don't particularly want to uh, say others should aspire to that because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, I wonder what quality I was putting out, but I certainly was putting in the hours. Mm -hmm. I used to get up at uh, probably 3, 3.30 in the morning, work at home to about 5. In those days, you get a cab to work. Right. And we're in a banking chamber in those days, what's 260 Queen Street. In those days, banks didn't open till 5 yeah. o'clock. Yeah. And I'd wait there and they'd let me in the building at 5 o'clock and you start work again. And, right. Uh, you know, so you... I got through that, uh, and it, it did teach me a lot in some respects uh, to be it's, Yeah, I mean, it's it, law in particular has got a reputation for expecting massive hours yes. from people who aspire to partnership. Yes. And if anything, it seems to me, and I don't recruit, uh, I don't specialise in this space, but that the younger people coming through, um, that's quite a... Uh, a demotivator and, and people are actually leaving the industry. Would that be a fair comment? I think it's right. I think that, that, that people are choosing, and that's where I, th where I think firms can differentiate themselves. We talked about it before, but I mean, mm. in terms of sort of the, you know, I don't particularly like work-life balance. That's not a phrase that yeah. altogether sits with me well, because at the end of the day, if you come to work, mm -hmm. irrespective of where you go to work, I'd have to say, I think you should expect to work hard. Sure. So I don't think there should be any yeah. apologies for that. But I think you can then create an environment where you can work with people. So the answer is, yeah, I think, uh, look, I'm, it's hard for me because I, I started at that firm in 1972. Mm -hmm. I became a partner at the age of 22. Um, and then within sort of three or four years, Peter, David and I had left that firm before right. Grace Ward. So yep. this has been my home for 35 years. Right, so sure. you know, it, in one sense for me to say, oh, this happens or that happens. But yep. I, I know enough other people right. to understand. I, I, I think... But firms, I think firms are getting smarter at that. I mm -hmm. think I think that, and all I can say, what I read in the press, you read about, not so much in law, but in these the banking houses demanding that graduates don't go into work on a weekend. They're trying mm -hmm. to. I think they've learned some hard lessons, particularly in the states, with some very un, you know, tragic consequences of people right. you know, suiciding sure. or falling over, breaking down. But mm -hmm. having said that, like it or not, if you're going to be a partner at yeah. one of the larger law firms in Australia. Mm -hmm then yes, you would have to be expected to be worked very, very well, hard. It just comes with the territory. It does, so. yes. Uh, yeah. uh, so it's interesting. So you basically had formed this firm uh, with two of your peers yes. by the time you were about 26, 26 27. Yeah, right, 26. Right, okay. So what was the original motivation for wanting well, to do that? Well, it's a bit like my brothers. Peter was 10 years older and David was, was five years older. Right. It, in fact, they were friends of mine. It's quite interesting in terms of how it shaped my... So Peter was 36, David must have been uh, 31 and I was 26. Okay. Look, I think it was around, and probably our own different reasons. I think Peter want, was looking at technology mm -hmm. a bit more than others were. Uh, David, uh, I think he had some frustrations about maybe how the work was being carried out. I personally had other reasons more around a, a, perhaps a degree of suffocation at a young age where right. I felt that... Um, I wanted to be a bit more of my own person. You wanted um, to be a master of your own destiny. A little bit, a little bit. I felt that it was. So look, we, we just, Peter and I were at a, at a management course uh, back okay. in 1970, you know, 19, uh, 1980. Right. And we sort of plotted it then, came back, spoke to David, and the rest is history. But uh, but the mainly was, I think, to just to really give it a, a go. We didn't right. we didn't sit down with a map and say, we're going to be here in five or ten years. We actually sure. sat down with the back of an envelope okay. and worked out what we thought we could gross by way of fees, what our expenses were going to be, and would we make a profit? Right. And what, we, what would we call ourselves? Okay. It was about as simple as that. Yep. In those days, you had to give three months notice, which we did. Mm -hmm. um, I bet the... Uh 
the firm owners were not happy to see three of their shining stars exit. Well, it was very, and, and as it turned out, another senior lawyer joined the firm as we left, and he said to me years later that uh, any get up and go had got up and left. And that was probably how <laughs> it transpired. That firm no longer exists right. now, which is sad. But uh, no, we were just, and look, I, I say to my team here, we have a every three months a morning mm-hmm. to you welcome new team members, mm-hmm. and I speak about what, what I've seen over the years. And I said, I say, look, in 1980, our strategic focus was one thing: work hard. Yeah, yeah. There was, you know, it was, sure. and that, and in 1980, that was a defining feature. Right. Um, and uh, obviously, forged the relationships that were necessary yes. to be perceived as the logical first choice. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, uh, coming back to this point about relationships, what do you think is different now to in the late 70s, early 80s, in relation to the way people do business? Oh, I think, yeah, there's a couple of broad steps. The whole process of tender for right. work. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can have the best relationship in the world. You mm-hmm. have your best friend, mm-hmm. for example, who's the CEO of a company. But mm-hmm. if they're going through a tender process, yeah. it'll be done by their general counsel. It'll yeah. be done in a very... Um, way that you know, as you expect with proper uh, processes mm. and clinical uh, clinical yeah and that relationship would be probably might mean nothing right um so tenders have certainly been a major process which uh, removed from relationships but the other aspect would be that as brisbane has matured there's mm-hmm. been a lot of people coming into the city from other states so therefore mm-hmm. the old you know, school connections or mm-hmm. you know if there were club connections sure. might, would be watered down mm-hmm. but having said that and once again, I'm guided by others here, but I, and there's a fellow we may talk about later, if, if you talk about mentors, who has been a very good mentor to me, but he isn't a Brisbane person. He actually is English, not that you know it to talk to him, but he spent a lot of time in Western Australia and down south and now up here. But he talks about Brisbane as being a very strong collegiate city, that one of the more, so that what I think he says to me is, mm. if you're willing to make the effort in the mm-hmm. city, and get into the various organisations and get out and about, then you mm-hmm. can make good relationships. So when you founded the business with your two partners, did you strategically have intent about, okay, these are the kind of relationships we need to foster and uh, in order to ensure that our firm's going to be successful? No. Right. Really? No, I, I look, I, it was intuitive. I mean, okay. um, if I've got, a, if I've got a, an ability, I think intuitively I can mm-hmm. see an opportunity and I can think, I can't see who they are, but the two largest clients of this firm I brought to the firm in 1983. Right. Still the two largest clients of wow. this firm. Okay. Um, and both of them were intuitive. Um, uh-huh. One, I was on the other side of a matter mm-hmm. with, a, with a large corporation. I was dealing with their general manager, and it was a fairly argy-bargy matter. But I think I dealt with it in a in a proper way, and we got through it all. And he said to me at the end of the day, um, "I'd like you to do some work for us." Right. Um, and that's how that started. For example. Sure. The other one was more, this other organisation were looking for someone down the line. They had a, we had a, a top tier firm doing their major work. Mm-hmm. They wanted a secondary firm. Okay. And uh, one of the younger partners said, I'll give Chris Water a ring. Right. That was 83. Yep. Um, I started off with two magistrates called Files. Mm-hmm. They're now the largest client of this firm. Very now, good. So that, having said that, I've weathered a lot of storm in that period of time, sure. changes of management. But I, I think it does demonstrate that you can, if you get the relationships right, but then intuitively also, you've got to be, on your feet, a bit like politics. I mean, mm-hmm. in, within organisations like those, mm-hmm. things you know can change very quickly. Leadership can change suddenly. If you're associated with, with you know, a general manager here who's suddenly out of favour, you know you've got right. to, you know, you've got to move very quickly to make sure that uh, you're in the right the right side of the camp. I suppose. Mm. So, 35 years. If you had to 
talk about uh, a few key milestones. But what, what was one of the first milestones in the evolution of the firm to where it is today? Um, ooh, I mean, I suppose just getting through the first couple of years to start with, we, we you know, it's hard to remember, I'll, I'll be honest, but you know, the, the trading conditions around 80, you know, through about 83 weren't all that good. I mean, we, we had, uh, I, I'm trying to think, we had a, certainly a credit squeeze in 74, I remember that as being an article clerk, and that, mm-hmm. that probably, in terms of things, when you see the world just stop, the mm-hmm. 1974 credit squeeze, the world just stopped, full stop. Mm-hmm. Um, in '83, I think we had a credit squeeze, and that mm. was you know, that was the way it used to happen in those days. It was just it was like like a sledgehammer, right? That, that they would just you know whack credit would just dry up. So younger people now who are looking at the uh, turmoil and um, uncertainty, you you say, oh, I've been there, done that. I've seen well, this time and time again. The turmoil of '07 08 was pretty frightening. I've got to say that, right? Um, because that was a global. You, you know, that was you know you see. Goldman, who went down the, was it, no, it wasn't Goldman Sachs, um, one of the big bank, mm-hmm. banking apps. When you saw some huge international players going down the gurgle, you thought, yeah. hang on, this could be interesting. Sure. Um, but uh, look, the milestones is, yeah, I think getting, getting enough traction in those first few years to satisfy yourself, yeah, we've done the right thing here. Right. You, know, you do it hoping and believing you're doing the right thing. But so, so how long do you think it was before you could actually sit back and say, yep, we're on to a good thing here. Oh, about three years, three right. or four years. Okay. Um, but, and then, by stage, after 83, my recollection is things had stabilised, we're building our client base, and for example, in 83, I picked up these two particular clients, although they weren't huge then, but they were starting to put, pump a lot of work in. Uh, we had some larger sort of property clients, commercial mm-hmm. clients. So look, it was sort of, and I think we were getting a reputation around town that, that you know, it's not a go-to firm, but certainly, you know, if you wanted some energy and drive, right. here's a group that can really help you. Okay. Um, and then as we headed into um, the uh, you know, the crash of 87, which we all went, oh my God, mm. I, I still remember the day, October 87, you know, people threw themselves out of windows and sure. in Wall Street. And we thought, my God, it's just the end of the world. But what we didn't understand was it, it spurned a huge property boom. Right. So cash, huge amount of cash came out of the stock market, yep. went into the um, into the uh, the property market. At or about the time, the two things which stick in my mind, we'd had the Commonwealth Games in 82, 83. That was a f- 82, must have been? 82. Uh, they were, 82. Right. Okay. That was pretty, pretty big. But then we had Expo. Yes, in 88. 88, and Sanctuary Cove opening, believe That's it or right. not. Yeah. And they, they were two huge things. Right. I remember we were sitting in 239 George Street. I could look across to the expo site and just watched it being built. And right. uh, So they're two things which really sure. thought, wow, this is pretty exciting. And so we, got, you know, we, were, we, were, yeah, we were flying. There's no we group. even had Frank Sinatra come. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, things, we had Chris Case in town, right, yeah. Bondi was in town. Yeah. I still remember going across one day, we used to celebrate our Christmas, yeah, our 20, our 22nd of December 1980 was our birth date. Right. And each year on that day, Peter, Dave and I would go to a restaurant and have lunch, a quiet lunch. We walked across that, whatever year it was, the Victoria Bridge, and Chris Gates was having his Christmas party. It was right. absolutely unbelievable. Right. There are ice shapes and yeah. jumbos that arrived in town. Um, and we thought, wow. And we then, by that stage, we were growing and growing. Yeah. We thought, right, we're going to go into bigger premises. So we took two floors down on Eagle Street in 1990, you beauty. Yeah. Uh, and then a fellow called Mr. Keating said, there's, there's a recession we've got to have That's here. That's right. So it's fair to say, in terms of other things that stick in your mind, 1990-1991 was pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, things slowed dramatically, mm-hmm. really dramatically. And what about in terms of growth of the business? Um, 
in headcount and, and then opening up in the regional centres. Did that happen you know, at any particular point of time from a strategic imperative or was that again more a, uh, you just grew by happenstance? Well, in not what happened, we had uh, one of our partners, Greg Carl, join us in 1990 and Greg had a huge practice from Rockhampton. He was an okay. incredible tax lawyer, but it was, it would, for us to get him, it was an absolute coup. Mm -hmm. uh, and Greg um, already had a large basis of support out in the region and right. so that's how that came so we never opened an office out there we used to fly in fly out as yeah. people still do yeah but that's about 1990 when we started our push into the region so okay. that came about because we had the person to lead that push right and uh, we saw real opportunities out there mm -hmm. uh, so once again was it strategic I suppose it was once we made up our mind but it yeah. was more opportunistic I suppose most okay. most things we did were opportunistic when right. you saw an opportunity you so, for example, um, uh, for people who are unfamiliar with uh, the law, and uh, uh, this fellow came to you and said, I'd like to join and bring my practice to you, or yes. you actively went out no, and he, said... No, he, he was wanting to move to Brisbane, but he had a lot of five right. children. He wanted to make a move, yeah. and uh, he'd been, he was at university, he was a gold medalist. Mm. Uh, you know, right. Of so, yeah, he, sure. the fact he'd gone to the country was probably counter... Um, you know, intuitive, you know, at the time when he did it back, well, he must have gone to, went up to Rocky in the 80s. So, but, but it, it, his family reached what we wanted to get back to Brisbane. Right. So yeah. he talked to three firms, we were one of them, and we okay. were lucky that he chose right. us. Uh, and really, uh, that is a very typical way for law firms to grow, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah. Find a partner, absorb their practice, yes. And, uh, yes. and grow uh, organically in that regard. Well, we've done, we had a few, we then also had David Roberts join us from Flower and Heart. I think he was the first partner okay. to leave Flower and Heart. Right. Uh, but we then in 1996, uh, a firm called Thompson King Conley mm -hmm. merged with us. They so they were subsumed into Cooper Grace Ward, mm -hmm. and then in 2009, Bain Gastine subsumed. Mm -hmm. So we've had we the answer is to your, we've had this ability, Touchwood, mm -hmm. uh, to bring people on board. Sure. Now, at times it doesn't always you know in any mm -hmm. situation there won't always be everyone stay with you, but yep. largely we've been. Fairly, it will be very successful, I think, mm -hmm. in the two mergers, particularly with Thompson, King, Conley and uh, Bay and Gastine, they were very, very successful mm -hmm. mergers. And then in terms of your own capability, uh, you started the firm, no doubt you were 100% on the tools, and, yep. and uh, as the firm grew, I imagine a bigger part of your role became strategy and leadership and well, yes, uh, I mean, we, general management as There such. was. Peter was the managing partner for 25 years, probably... In the last five years of that time, I was probably more heavily involved in that, right. um, but I still full, full time on the tools, and so right. was Peter. And that was, you know, if there was a when I took over as managing partner, I said I'm not going to mm -hmm. be full time on the tools. I felt that, you know, and I'd, I'd say this to Peter's face that, that we probably lost a bit by having Peter so involved in the day to day work right. rather than. But it's always that fine line. And when sure. is the time you can afford to have someone step off the tools? Yeah. Uh, but I felt in 2005 that. If we we're going to achieve what I hope we could achieve, then mm -hmm. I thought that uh, it would need my full-time attention, okay. and the firm agreed, and that's how right. it's gone for the last ten years. And so uh, you mentioned that you've had a mentor, but in terms of how did you go about developing your professional expertise in relation to the um, the leadership element of your role versus being a lawyer? I mean, oh, did you... that's a great question because the Frank, there's no book. Right. Um, I read a few books. Uh, yeah. Look, I hate to say it. Um, it's learning on the job, right. um, having good people around you who you can, you know, not, not a lot, but enough mm -hmm. where, you, and I've been very lucky, I've got one partner I've relied a lot on very heavily, mm -hmm. um, and he, he says I can never do your job, right. but I can go to him, and he's got a very good lateral thinker, mm -hmm. 
and you're saying, what do you think about this? You go, oh, yep, that's good. Right. Um, but you didn't think, I need to go back to university and do an MBA or... No, I, I thought I had... I've actually had the chance... To, I went to, I did eventually go and do a leadership course at Harvard okay. about two or three years ago. Right. And, and that was fantastic. Mm. If anyone... It was, a, it was only an eight-day course, but right. it seems like, you know, it seems longer than that. But it, uh, it was an advanced leadership and professional services yeah. firm. It's the chicken and the egg. You, you might say, well, Chris, why didn't you do that in 2005? Mm-hmm. Why did you wait? And, I, and so when I chose to do it in 2013, I thought, oh, hang on, you know, it's just a bit, you know, bit rude that after eight years you decide to go and do it. And I was the oldest person, might I say, in oh, this really? of 120 people at Harvard. Wow. Okay. But I felt that, that if I'd gone early, I, I felt I'd, it's a very reflective course. Mm-hmm. And so therefore I felt it did cause you to reflect. You think, oh, my do that you know right. so I think that the experience of what I've been through was probably good for me in the That's sense that yeah, but look it, it's a risk if you're list, if you're learning on the job it's a risk sure and therefore you frankly we're doing it differently now mm-hmm. and you know without being rude there was no preparation for me to be managing partner mm-hmm. whereas now we've identified a number of people and like whether they're going to be the ones I don't know to succeed me but we're looking at the one going off to Mount Eliza this okay. year yep. we, we encourage them to do so there are things we're doing more now in right. terms of that then and so uh, you know it, I, hindsight being 2020 it's yep. an interesting question to ask uh, you went to that Harvard and then uh, course and you went boy you know I can't believe I did that well what in retrospect what were some of the things that if you'd had your time over you would have done differently um, I think being a bit more forceful on change I think that that you know, it, it probably I was guilty of, and it's hard. I mean, I, I, I was it was I was working through a fair bit of cultural change. Yeah, um, and that's always hard. And Do you think you should have driven it harder than you did? Probably, uh, but in what, in what regard? Oh, being less tolerant of people who resist change. Okay, um, and that's you know that that's a hard line because you, and I've, I've, I've sat around boardroom our boardroom table, and you can see people actually physically. It, I think all the neuroscience would now tell you. Mm-hmm. It, they physically push back. I mean, change can be quite a challenge and threatening to people. Sure. I think it's probably a question of a fine line between saying, this is what we're going to do and we're going to do it this way. Mm-hmm. You're on the bus or you're not. Yeah. Now, I probably was too tolerant mm. of those who weren't on the bus and I was trying to get them on the bus. But I, I'm not going to bash myself up too hard about that. I read I read that book by Jack Welch, The right. Black G, and he said it, he didn't go hard enough. I thought, sure. my God, Father, right. the way he went at it. Um, I think you've got to be yourself a bit too. Yeah. But I did come back with from Harvard a bit sort of of a view, hang on. Right. I, I, I think that, that um, we really have to be you know, less tolerant of those. Once you've set your sails, mm-hmm. and it, provided you've done all the proper consultation, mm-hmm. strategically we're heading this direction, we're going to achieve this, mm-hmm. we want to do that. Your, your willingness to sort of you know, be tolerant of those who, if not... I've been lucky. I haven't had people sort of, you know, mm-hmm. um, sort of uh, be guerrilla you know, and try and ruin the war. Sure. But those who've been less, have been resistant or, mm-hmm. you know, almost passively resistant. I think that I've learned you've got to be a bit more full, full right. on with that and say, look, come on, let's let's move on, let's get let's move forward. Either you, either you're with us or you're not. And a different environment from Jack doing it within a corporation yes. to you doing it within a partnership. Partnership, exactly. You know, I mean, uh, Jack's old. Let's. Uh, measure everybody and the bottom 10% get fired. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. I mean, that's pretty brutal stuff. Yeah. And, uh, so, and, and what were some of the other key takeaways from doing that course? Um, um, they were, look, they were pretty ba- look, when they were pretty basic, but I, I think in addition, um, 
one thing they talked a lot about was you know this whole concept of uh, engagement, which I'm a great fan of. How you have your team engaged, and we've been right. very successful in all our Aon Hewitt. We've got fantastic results. But mm-hmm. they they sort of summed it up. I thought in a very simple way for me that that they talked about contract workers, mm-hmm. I say team members, and covenant team members. So you got contract okay. and, and covenant. A contract team member, they come to work, they enjoy it here. It's not bad. I get paid well. It's a nice office. I get a beer on a Friday night. Thanks yeah. very much, Chris. Not a bad bloke. Bye. I get paid. Yeah. Covenant team member. I'll, you know, I'm not going to work 24-7, but if the job has to be done, I'll get it done, we'll get it. You know, so absolutely committed to what you're going to do. And they say what moves someone from being a contract to a covenant, one is faith in, in senior leadership. Mm-hmm. And that's part of that's me, but having faith in senior leadership. Mm-hmm. Two, that in their team that someone gen- genuinely cares about them. Mm-hmm. And three, that they're doing something which is uplifting, that they're growing and learning from. Right. So I've said to my, when I came back to all my team, it, mm-hmm. it might be a simple conversation. Mm-hmm. Richard, you seem not to be with us at the moment. Yep. And you say, well, Chris, if I have to do one more mortgage, I'm going to vomit or, right. or no, I'm, I'm ups- I don't think that the, we're going in the right direction here. I think that management have lost their way. Mm-hmm. Uh, or look, I'm in this group, you know, no one gives a bugger around me. Mm-hmm. You know? So there might be a simple conversation. Or something's going on at home. Exactly. Or, yeah, I want to go and do an MBA at Harvard. Or, yeah, yeah. Exactly. or yeah. my wife's sick. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it might it just need a, a bit more honest conversations around mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. that was, there were three, I'm trying to remember, there were three key things I brought back, but that was one that I really resonated with me. The other one is this question of alignment. They really talked about alignment. And those organisations that are ju- truly successful mm-hmm. have really full alignment. Full alignment with their core purpose and, and strategy and values, right. and that, that and that therefore the tolerance factor. So going back to your question, what would you have done differently? I think that I was too tolerant yeah. uh, of those who they weren't causing me absolute grief, but you knew that they weren't really engaging as you'd want. Right. And I think I underestimated the, the damage they were probably doing. Mm-hmm. And so having come back and learnt that about yourself, did you then make some hard choices and, and, and make change? A few, a okay. few, in terms of nothing dramatic. I don't right. think it needed to be an absolute sort of uh, uh, skyrocket in sure. the night experience, yeah. but I came back and told people, look, right. I think my tolerance will be less. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I think, you know, and I, I think people joined in. I think they, they saw that I came back with a, a very refreshed enthusiasm mm-hmm. and a mm-hmm. determination. Mm-hmm. And I think I think they took some comfort. I think they took some strength out of that as well too. Mm-hmm. And, and quite often, it, it doesn't need much more than saying, hey, let's have a call to arms here. Yep. You know, I think we just need to understand it. We, so quite often, people almost need, want that. They go, good, okay, I'm glad to see that someone's right. drawn a line on the sand here. And then the staff uh, see that there is this congruence. Yes. And um, did you notice that there was a, a reflective... Uh, improvement in general morale and performance? I believe so, yeah. Right, yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. I mean, it's ongoing. I think it's uh, in a tough market, might mm. I say. Um, so therefore, I think that, that it's sort of encouraged and empowered people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it does come from the top, and that's, you know, you, you, we still, that's still work in progress, mm-hmm. just making sure that we've got, you know, at the top, everyone really signing on. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm very lucky in that regard. Mm-hmm. And so looking towards the future, uh, you know, what do you think of the challenges facing professional services and law in particular and how are you guys uh, uh, attempting to uh, stay across that? Um, look, it, it's still, it's really uh, in the marketplace. It's just, I suppose, the challenge I find is trying to understand the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's all this, you've got all these disruptors, you've got the 
international law firms. We've now got Jones Day in Brisbane. You've mm-hmm. got Baker McKenzie in Brisbane. Who would have mm-hmm. thought that five years ago? You've got Alan Linkletters. You know, you've got Herbert Smith Freehills. You've got then got down the bottom, you know, the, the pile, the sort of the, the, the smaller boutique, you know, hive, you know, some of these firms that. Are, so there's a whole transition going through. So I'm trying to work out what will that mean to the marketplace. You know, what mm-hmm. will our very loyal, very strong middle market clients will they be what affected? Mm. My gut feeling is probably not. I'm mm-hmm. hoping. I'm mm-hmm. hoping. I'm believing in the sense that while we continue, and I'm saying to our to our team, really stick to what we're good at. Let's mm-hmm. really stick to what we're good at. Doesn't mean you, if you see an opportunity, don't go and say, right, yeah, let's sit down. Well, could we be doing aeronautical law? Because we've got a great person here and we can do this opportunity. But the reality is, here's this core market of, of clients that we think really want our services. Mm-hmm. Um, let's make sure that we really are uh, in that. But uh, in addition, I think not to get complacent. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing we've probably done, I think we've got a bit complacent in terms of looking for further uh, further opportunities. Right. And therefore, I think part of my drive going forward will be, um, with probably some external help, really working on that, how we can unearth further opportunities. Okay. Um, and when you say external help, what do you, you mean? Uh, uh, potentially bringing in uh, an external board or? No, no, some trainers, some people with right. really good skills around that, that energizing around that, that whole, uh, development phase of your practice. Right, okay. Uh, not giving too much away, because we've sure. actually only met them once, right. but, uh, okay. but we've spoken to them, uh, okay. and on the face of it, they appear to have a very good track record. Right. Uh, it would be a big commitment, but I think it. I think it's, I think that probably some partners are, are saying, oh, look, I'm not good at that sort of stuff. Yeah. We're saying, well, hang on. Right. Guess what? Yeah. You know, they're not good at... Uh, so business development. Yeah. Kind of, yeah they're, they're, they're probably, I, I suppose I'm, I'm waffling here, but try and spread yeah, you've got a, a really good rainmakers. Really try and yeah. get more and more and spread it. And oh, really. sure. I have this conversation with uh, managing partners and professional services firms all the time, and they say you know, the expression "finders, minders, and grinders." Yes, yeah. You know, we're excellent at mining and grinding, right, yep. but it's, we find it really, really hard to encourage our leaders to be finders. Yes, and it, and it, it, and it fundamentally, it's a change of perspective. Yes, um, of saying rather than I'm wait the work to come to me I've got to actually go out and, and, and hunt for it hunt for it and that, yeah. that's probably one thing I think that we've become a bit complacent because we've, right. we're very lucky we've got some very I look at our top 40 clients and I'm, I'm very proud of them they're, yeah. they're, they're great clients and in fact they're growing so one might say what are you worrying about well right. I think we're exposed because if one of those sure. you know, something changed as I said before yeah. political things changed in an organisation right. suddenly you know loyalty's gone out the window and you, you so know, do you think you can turn a a minder into a finder? I think it's going to be very hard, yeah. but I think we can, I, I, I believe we can give them some better skills to right. do it. And I think, I don't think we can do it internally. I think mm-hmm. we need, and if, I, if we've got the right people, and mm-hmm. I think we have uh, mm-hmm. early days yet, then I think we can, you know, if nothing, lift by 10%, you know, just that, that right. it's going to, and I think it will, I'm very lucky, I've never, you know, yeah. not, we all hate getting rejections, no question about it. Right. So, you know, no one wants to be, you know, but I think I've been very fortunate to sort of get up and dust yourself off and keep going. And I've been very fortunate. I, I you know, it, 
my CEO, who's come, who's out of Victoria, she'd been with me 10 years, yes. says to me, Chris, is there anyone you don't know in Brisbane? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sort of very fortunate. Sure, but you're the CEO, you yeah. know, and you're fundamentally the founder or one yes. of the founders. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, much like my business, I wish everybody would be like me. Yes. Unfortunately, they're not. They're not. So, not. Uh, so what about technology? I mean, technology is having a huge disruptive effect across a whole range of industries. Yeah. How is that impacting law and, and what are you doing about oh, that? For us, I think it's more around our processes. I think I, I don't I don't see you know huge big bangs for us, mm. but I think it is more about just revisiting, you know, and they and there's a fellow I've been I follow a fair bit from Richard Susskind, I don't know if you've heard of Richard right. he's a regarded as one of the leading legal futurists in the world. Okay, he's a professor right. from Oxford uh-huh. and a very, very um, articulate and clear spoken man and I've seen him three times now, but he talks about deconstruction or decomposition of matters. So mm-hmm. that Look at your, and I think he says, in a legal matter, there are nine steps. He rattles them off. Right. And you need lawyers for two of them. Yeah. Strategy and grey hair. Sure. So there are seven steps in that matter that really you probably don't need a lawyer for. You may not even need a human for. Exactly. What can you be doing? Mm -hmm. And in other words, getting ahead of the game. Right. And Susskind quotes this fellow, Wayne Gretzky, who was the greatest ice hockey player in the world, la, 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 la. Yeah. At the end of his career, Susskind says, they said to Gretzky, why were you so good? Right. He said, I skated to where the puck was heading, not where it was. Right. And so using that analogy, yeah. what are we trying to do here? It's sure. really seeing where the puck's heading. And uh, it, you know, there's all this, you know, this artificial, there's Watson and, it's, yeah. and all these things that, you know, right. the, you know, that IBM are putting a huge amount of money mm-hmm. into Watson and I think Roy or Ray, the son of Watson. So uh, look, I think there's going to be those, those, those challenges in front of mm. us. But once again, in the marketplace we're in, mm-hmm. I'd like to think that if we, once again, we, we've got to be ahead of the game mm-hmm. and make sure that, I, and I think part of it's just really making sure your clients believe you're ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. That might seem a bit odd, but I think that sure. you've just got to um, make sure that, that, I think the clients will be pleased to see that you are thinking of different ways. I mean, innovation's the buzzword. Innovation, mm-hmm. innovation. Mm-hmm. Well, we spent a day and a half at Harvard and didn't come up with much of no. it. So that they brought in this wonderful woman who, had worked with Steve Jobs at Pixar. Right, and, okay. But, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. came out of our ears. Uh, we're going, well, that's interesting. So right. I, I think it's more around processes. I don't think there's any big bang. Mm. Uh, I think it's around processes. Mm. And we mentioned briefly, what about uh, attracting young people to view law as still a great career and keeping them retained within industry, particularly in relation to... Uh, gender diversity and um, people working remotely and things like that. It's hard. I mean, it, it's it's really because what does a 24 year old or 23 year old really know where they want to end up? I mean, sure. um, they would find our firm very attractive, mm-hmm. but they might by the age of 30 be desperate to work in London now. Right. So um, all I think we can do is is create an environment. Um, getting it back a little bit to that, that covenant worker where mm-hmm. they have faith in the senior management. In other words, you know, that the place does work really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, I suppose, and leadership can be in a couple of ways. I'm, I'm a leader yeah. and my COO is a very strong leader. Uh, and just making sure that, that, that and we're very lucky it works incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, making sure if they do join us that someone is looking after them and, yes. that, and that they are feeling that someone really cares about them mm-hmm. and that they're growing and learning. Mm-hmm. They're not being put in some corner where they're you know, stapling you know, briefs for the rest of the, for, for another year. And so do you have any uh, uh, specific in situ arrangements to see yep. younger people we mentored? Do. What we do is we bring in, what we do, and it's a hot ticket around town, but we, right. we've taken, a, we, we bring in about four to six research clerks each year. Okay. We guarantee them two days a week. When right. they're, about, they're normally about third, I should know this, but third, third or fourth year law. Uh-huh. Um, 
they sit at the research bench for two days a week here, um, and provided their marks maintain and they work appropriately, they're guaranteed a grad role okay. at the end of that. So that's a pretty hot ticket because we're making a, a fair big, fairly big commitment a bit right. further out than most would. Okay. We've done that quite proactively to try mm. and you know, encourage people to join us, and we've been very successful. But on occasions, we've lost someone to Jones Day in Sydney, we lost someone to, I think, Deutsche Bank. So, look, some kids will just decide, hey, sure. look, I love it here, and they yeah. also say, it's fantastic here, but I want to work in Sydney, yeah. I want to be in London. Uh, but so I think what we try to do, so we do, and then from there, their mentor would buy a team member, mm-hmm. um, and that's and, and, in, and within the whole team framework, there mm-hmm. are mentors at all levels. So that seems to work very well, mm-hmm. and and also, my door is always open. Now, it's a bit. You know, I'm not suggesting a, a 23-year-old grey is going to come bowling through my door necessarily, but they, 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 I make sure it is an open door policy. First names, you know, so that people are encouraged. And I, I would expect normally they'd go through their, their, they'd go and speak to our director of knowledge if they had a mm-hmm. concern to start with, then perhaps our CEO, yeah, and then right. perhaps me. Sure. That, yeah, I'd like to think I'm about the third port of call, not right. the first. Yes. If they're not happy with their cup of tea or something like right. that, that, that <laughs> they'd work through a process. But uh, but no, we try to keep it very open, and that's the feedback we get. That and I try I communicate a hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. You might have gathered I never shut up, but I mean I do. Uh, we every month have a, a, a an open forum here in our tea room, our, our team cafe, where I just update the team what's going on. Mm-hmm. I have Chris's Corner in our electronic newsletter each week or every okay. two weeks. And I try and get out and about. And so I, I try to make sure there are, there are a few secrets as possible. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if I'm dealing with Richard about joining the firm, well, that's a secret. Yeah, I'm yes. not out there saying, guess what? I'm dealing with Richard. Sure. He's going to join such and such. But yeah. generally speaking, most things, and we talk about it, and I had it the other morning. I, I said, look, January was, in, in, was a very average month for this firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I gather... Not at Queensland and Australia wide. I mean, right. I made a few phone calls. Trust me. Yes, I had a pretty average January. Yeah, February is quite exciting. Exactly, so same I, here. Right. But I said, hey, you know, so I make no bones about yeah. it. You know. Okay, great. Now, part of the premise for this podcast is for people who are aspiring to be CEOs or non-executive directors to hear the stories of those who have walked the path before them and learn. Uh, in order to accelerate their own careers. So, just to um, start to wrap up this podcast. Yep. If you were talking to an audience um, about some of your key lessons in relation to leadership that have assisted you in achieving what you have already, now we've talked about some of these things already in this podcast, but what are some uh, other thoughts that you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, it's probably this more when I took over. I was always, I was always quite ambitious. I, always, I, had a, I had a thought that I'd like to run the firm. I mm-hmm. hadn't sort of you know, materialised it. Sure. And, I was, and, I, and Peter gave me a lot of freedom. I, I, was, I was never restricted in what I wanted to do. So I wasn't sitting there being put in a corner for, you know, for 25 years, not allowed to say quite the opposite. I was very vocal right. and Peter and I worked very closely together. So I had a lot of chance in that mm-hmm. regard. A few things, my, my then and still current uh, HR director, uh, Neil Baker, uh, suspend judgment. Right. Um, you know, I, I probably was guilty in the early days of coming into the role and thinking, well, I know Rich is a troublemaker. He'll right. Call, you know, he'll cause me trouble. Right. Suspend judgment. You know, okay. Be willing to sort of hear it mm-hmm. and then understand it right. and then make a judgment. Mm-hmm. So I think that was probably one thing I learned very quickly, that... that don't have preconceived notions. Try and have an open mind. Now, you might think, God, that sounds like a rubbish. But, I mean, really listen to it and try and understand it. And so would you say that when you're going into a situation, you are intentionally reminding yourself to do that? I am. As, look, it's take, it, it isn't easy because right. you think, oh, you, you know this is not going to work. Right. But listen to it and understand it. And, and quite often just hear the person out. Okay. Quite often it's more that's all they want to do. Say, sure. hey, yeah. I've told you now. 
I'm not happy with this. Right. I'm happy I've got it off my chest. See you later. Thanks, yep. Wardy. Bye-bye. Okay. See you later. So to, to suspend, that, that was a great piece of suspend judgment. Um, in terms of, you know, sort of leadership uh, to try and back yourself, I mean, but get some good advice along the way. I, I, yeah, I, you sort of, and what I'm told about my own profile, to understand your own profile, what I'm, my own profile I'm told is that I, I'm pretty quick to make decisions. I like to keep things moving. Mm-hmm. And that basically I'll get it right about 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. I invariably will get it right. But I'm told that I'm smart enough in inverted commas when it's hard right. to go and get some good advice. So okay. don't, so, and my management team tell me what they've enjoyed about me is I keep things moving. Things uh-huh. don't sit on my desk mm-hmm. for months going, well, what about that project, Woody? Yeah, yeah. So that it gets moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but try, But when you think you're getting into some area, what you should know to say, hang on, this is, this is pretty complex here go and get some good advice mm-hmm. and then make your mind up and make sure you've taken you know some i wouldn't go too far afield because you just end up confusing yourself but try and find some people that you think yeah i really value their judgment mm-hmm. uh, and that's a mentor as I said, i've been very lucky with internally here with one person who and i still value their judgment enormously uh and that's that's more than one but i'm saying two or three sure you go and sound them out um, and it's normally been very good advice. So, okay. so suspend judgment. You know, listen. Mm-hmm. Um, keep things moving. Mm-hmm. Be very, be be public. Be try and be as articulate as you can. People want communication. Um, they want to know about you. That's the only thing. They you got to put your chin out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put a, put it out a, a lot over ten years. Um, Peter never put his chin out. That that wasn't Peter's style. Mm-hmm. I give a lot of myself. Peter would never give. My, I gave a lot of myself. That's right. right. You know, and, and you pay a bit of a price for that at times too. Sure. Um, you know, I, I'd be accused of probably times wearing my heart on my sleeve. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, maybe at times, you know, you should have, you know, not quite said that. So there'll mm-hmm. be times, unfortunately, that 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 will get a bit ahead of you. But I think over ten years you've learned. Yep. Um, to perhaps don't go where angels would fear to tread at times. But, but by you, the same token, you know, you you are who you are, and. Yeah. and uh, uh, those natural tendencies, uh, which everybody has, um, you, if you don't um, allow them to be part of your professional makeup, I imagine life would be pretty well, un- unfortunate. I my father, who's a welfare manager, walk right. around a, a, a work the 1500 apprentices. This is going back in time. This is back in the 60s when the English electric had this huge heavy engineering train out of uh, division out of Rockley, huge. Right. But Dad would walk around. I'd work with him over Christmas. Walk around. He knew every. He knew everyone. Hello, Frank. Yeah, mm-hmm. He would. And I suppose I learned a bit from that, probably just watching it. That, yeah. you know, and I try to do it here, walk yeah. around. I know everyone. Um, I don't sort of stop and chat to everyone. But I'm like, Hi, how are you going this morning? Uh, mm-hmm. And I think people like that. And I've, I've, and I've actually had some personal feedback from team members. And I've still kept the card of a girl. I can't remember much about it. But she actually sent me a note when she left saying, you don't know how important it was, but you actually spoke to me in the lift. Right. And asked me how I was going. I, yep. I don't recall it even, to be honest. But Well, I mean, if anything the legal industry would have a reputation for more of the reverse. Exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, it's obviously uh, worked very well for you in terms of uh, your own career. Looking towards the future now, you know, what, what, are, what are you excited about doing uh, before you eventually uh, hang up uh, your shingle and, or, and, and go off into retirement? Uh, just to continue to grow the firm. Look, my, my dear wife says I'm pretty boring. And right. I, the two things that, that I have uh, close are my family and the firm. Uh-huh. And that's really... Um, you know, my sons are you know, three boys and they're now all in sort of, you know, one's in law, one's in real estate, the other's about to finish law. Right. So they're progressing. Um, and the firm, look, I want the firm to go better. I think it's gone incredibly well. I think mm-hmm. that uh, I just wanted to, uh, I, I suppose succession will be important. Yeah. Um, we're still a first generation firm. Mm-hmm. Um, I can promise you I have no, would have no joy 
in seeing the firm go backwards after I left. You okay. know, I, I think Joe, I think there was some oh, sure. views at Joe Bielke had sure. a great joy in that. You know, um, I think proper planning and succession will be important. And mm-hmm. I hope, look, I'm 60, I hope I've got quite a few years to go. I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I never want to overstay, overstay my welcome, mm-hmm. but I'm assured at the moment I'm not. And in fact, it's very, I'm told a very important time for the firm in the next five years, mm-hmm. uh, as a lot of older senior partners exit the firm, to make sure that transition's handled carefully and sensibly. Uh, that we have a proper succession plan. So probably in the next five years will be incredibly challenging for me. Okay. And do you have aspirations to uh, take on any directorships? Uh, look, I'm a litigator. My background was a litigator. So when right. was, Peter Cooper was property, David Gray's commercial, Chris Ward was litigation. Yeah. I've been on a few boards, but I, I'm not... It, if, I, it's not in my... I wouldn't say no, right. but I'm not going to be out there chasing it. No. I think personally, an ongoing involvement with this firm would give me as much... You know, I think there's a lot more I can do in mentoring down yes. the track. Okay. Uh, so I think there's a lot more I could do. Fair enough. And what about uh, when you're not at work? How do you uh, remain energised and keep your tank full of petrol? What sort of things do you um, enjoy? I love, yeah, not, I love exercise, you wouldn't <laughs> quite know. Look at it, but I, um, I, I walk every day. I've got a, a, for my sins, I've got a, a, a wonderful five-year-old staffy who just right. gets me up every morning at bloody 10 past five. Um, right. I cycle on the weekends. My wife and I, we, we like to keep fit. Um, yeah. We're very fortunate. We've got a beach house up the north coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get there as much as we can. Um, but look, yeah, we just enjoy the weekends and you know, not doing a lot actually. Just, sure. just uh, I, I, cricket's, I love, I love sport. Right. Uh, cricket's my great passion. I'm keeping an eye on it. I think we're about to beat New Zealand and be the world number one team, uh, uh-huh. which would be wonderful. Um, so look, I just want to, I, I read a lot in terms, I like to keep up to date with economics generally, mm-hmm. I the political scene, mm-hmm. world events. Not, I don't sit there and read every word, sure. but I do. And yeah, so generally I've, Try and keep my mind. One thing I th- people tell me is to keep your mind very active, and right. there's now clear evidence, I think, mm. um, that in, in terms of the onset of uh, particularly areas around uh, dementia and whatever, sure. that, that high level of exercise. They yes. don't know quite how much high level of exercise mm-hmm. and keeping your brain active will mm-hmm. certainly be some safeguard against that. So that's that's probably one of my goals as uh-huh. well. Fair enough. Well, look, uh, we're pretty much out of time. But before good. we go, is there anything you'd like to add or any final comments? Uh, for the audience uh, that you think would be interesting? No, it's, it's, look, it's one of those things that I, the last 35 years people ask me about it, but it might sound, it's like watching a puppy grow. You, you, look, I can't say that I sat there and went, wow, look at that. I mean, you know, right. I think the main thing you've got to try and do is, I think strategy is very important. Mm-hmm. I, so I'll jump. I think, having said just that, I think you do need to go back and touch, touch the stone every couple of years, say, look, where are we going? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Is it the right direction? And just make sure you've got a clear strategic vision, as clear as you can get it in mm-hmm. this world, which isn't that clear. But I think, as one, someone said to me, who I respect, Wardy, at least having a strategy is a starting point. Right. Now, it may not be the right strategy, but at least try and get to that point. Sure. Develop it and get it facing. So mm-hmm. in terms of a business model, understand, you know, you started, you know, why use Cooper Grace Ward? Mm-hmm. We, we ask ourselves every day, why? Mm-hmm. And if we can't find a reason... I think you should be worried. I can find many reasons. Right. But if you can't find a reason as to why people aren't using your, why they shouldn't use your business, well, I think you should start to go back and say, well, let's find some reasons. Sure. What's our point of difference? Well, Chris, I really appreciate your time. Thanks very much and have a great afternoon. Thanks, Chris. Okay. I hope wherever you are today, you've enjoyed this podcast and you've got an exciting afternoon or evening ahead of you. I look forward to having you along for future Arate podcasts 
And in the meantime, have a fantastic week.